The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, thanks. Good to be here. Good to be with you guys. Uh, I think I've been here once or twice before speaking. Uh, before that, I was here as a student long, long, long time ago, before you're all born, and uh, that makes me feel really, really old. So uh, that's okay. I am. So, um, and uh, a good sense of reality is needed sometimes. Um, but this morning, what I wanted to do was, because every time I've come here to talk, speak, or I'm on campus for something, I, I, I think back when I was here, you know, and I think back to moments, and you think back to, I think what I would call defining moments, um, and uh, I had no clue, even though I was studying for ministry and then it ended up going on further to study at Dallas Seminary, um, I, I don't think I had any clue what I'd be doing because you make your plans and you realize that um, your heart is either uh, fully inclined or aligned with God and, uh, or you're in the process of that and he's just going to continue to work in your life. And so I think back to defining moments. And today I'm going to be in Matthew 10, but before I get there, um, uh, I, I want to go back to one of those defining moments. I played soccer here. And uh, I, I use that term played loosely because I, I sat on the bench more than I played. Um, and, but I enjoyed it. It, it, was, it was really something that sports formed in me some things. But you focus on playing when you're a student or when you're on a team. You focus on, well, let me, let me be part of this team. And you don't understand what that means um, but hopefully you have a coach and players around you that help you do that. But man, I was like 18 years old, 19 years old, and I realized um, I wasn't real smart. Now, you guys are much smarter than what I was, and uh, you have the benefit of so many things. I'm just going to give you that benefit. But one time we went up and traveled up to Houghton College, which I think is in upstate New York, and um, bigger school, and we thought we're going to do well, and we're going to go in there. We had a really good team, and a lot of international players. And um, when we got up there, they didn't have really good accommodations for us. We ended up getting put, separated the whole team, and I think it was a ploy, too. They were going to separate our team out and kind of just, you know, work on us, and they were serious about their sports. And they put me and a few other players in the third floor of some house, some building that I wasn't sure what it was, and uh, music was playing all night. I guess they, the sleep deprivation was their goal, and so we ended up up there. But the music that was playing, you guys know who Keith Green was? All right. I, I love his music, right? And... Uh, the heart in his music and scripture and his love for Christ and it was playing all night and I don't know who was playing it and nobody asked anybody to shut it off I'm like, I guess this is what they do and uh, so it was I just was listening to lyrics and it was very challenging lyrics very challenging about who are you and you're willing to wake up for God? Are you willing to do things? And I remember it was one of those defining moments of many that I had here at PCB at the time, Karen University. And 
it was aligned with the next day a devotional or I think we were in a tournament up there, a devotional we had in Matthew 10. And I think God had arranged that for me. And so that's where I'm coming today. Um, and so I think back to Houghton College when I think back to Matthew 10. I hope that you have moments in your life where areas of Scripture, um, places in the Bible are aligned with maybe a conference a, a, a place where you heard it taught, maybe in church, but more times than not, church being a wonderful place and experiences for me as a young person, I also had experiences of just discussion, hearing a message, hearing one thing, and Matthew 10 is one of those. I hope you have those experiences because to me, it's what God's trying to do constantly in our lives, and so I want to look at Matthew chapter 10, and I'm not going to look at the whole chapter. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm not going to look at the whole chapter, and um, I want to look at particularly the end of it, but the context of this passage is one of the more challenging and difficult in the Gospels because it's Jesus sending out 12 that he has been working in their lives in significant ways. So it's investment in and return out. It was watching Jesus say, look what I've been doing in the life, in your life, and I've been showing you certain things and I am expecting big things. Big things. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that about your life. I'm expecting big things from you. Another defining moment was a youth leader looking at a very arrogant 10th grader that literally was always ridiculing, joking, inappropriate, saying, God's going to do something great in your life. I can sense it. I remember that, even though I didn't take it very serious at that moment. But I remember what that youth leader, Chuck, was saying to me, Jesus was looking at his disciples, and he looked at them as a group, and I am sure there were strengths and weaknesses, but he wanted them in the context of acknowledgement to be able to say, and I'm not going to read through the first part of the chapter, I will jump into verse 32 eventually here, but he, he gives them instruction, he says, I'm, I'm sending you out in all of my authority, I'm giving you opportunity, I'm giving you instructions, he gives them detailed instructions on things that are going, why does this matter? I think part of it was he was testing their ability to be able to follow instructions, or at least say, listen, this is important to me, it's got to be important to you. And he tells them, well, you know, whatever town or village you enter, search for this worthy person. He gives them all of this. He warns them that there's going to be opposition that is absolutely going to come up against them. Expect it, by the way, in the context of this passage. And what I've realized when I read Matthew chapter 10, and when I think about discipleship, and I think about the choices we have to make, in a world that's increasing in their hostility towards the truth of the gospel and the word of God and people that represent that try to live it, that it is not safe. God is not promising you safety. And if you define prosperity or success and you align it with safety, that's never been promised in the gospels. That's never been said that will happen. In fact, Jesus said, expect troubles, expect hatred, expect those things. Now, he didn't say be obnoxious. He didn't say go out and be an obnoxious group of people, and if you're, a, you know, hopefully, you know, they'll like you in that state. He didn't say that. But he said, you've watched me. I've modeled things for you. 
I think I lean towards the Gospels in so many ways in terms of when I teach, I want to know what did Jesus do. I want to go back to the source. What did Jesus do? It's not minimizing the Apostle Paul. It's not minimizing any of the other New Testament writers or Old Testament narrative or anything like that. But I realize that Jesus represents the perfection of what it looks like to come into the hostility of the world and represent who he is and live like who he is. And so when he gives these instructions and he says, there's going to be a lot of unsafe situations around you, don't go out with the expectation that you're going to be liked, received well. Now, if you are, there may be the question of how are you representing Jesus Christ? So I want to come to verse 32 for a moment. He says very difficult words. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Now, to look at the passage and say, well, what is Jesus saying? Because uh, is he... contradicting what he has said about salvation and that now if I come into a moment in which I shrink back and I say, I I don't know Jesus, I don't have anything to do with Jesus because right now my life is threatened, my reputation is threatened, my money's threatened, my family's threatened. Does it mean everything's lost, I have no eternity? I think the context of this passage, the way I see it, is that we are looking at what what we think is, what we know is future blessing reward in eternity for disciples who he's speaking to, this is those who were convinced, believed, followed, and now being sent out. This is not the, the, those apart from Christ. So the context is this. There's going to be a time in which I am going to stand up in front of my father, and I am going to enthusiastically say, there's Al, you know? And it's a moment maybe at that judgment seat of Christ in which I have the opportunity to see and hear back, look back, think back in that unique context of eternity that, yes, may have a glimmer of regret, but it's still heaven, and realize there were differing degrees and level of acknowledgement in my life of Jesus Christ. You have those moments every day of your life. You do. Every day. These were big ones. We can put it in the context. You're going to go into towns and they're going to hate you. You're going to acknowledge me, run from me. You're going to say I'm with Jesus. You're going to shrink back. Yeah, we can put it in that context. But acknowledging Jesus in the smallest moments and decisions to the biggest moments and decisions, I think falls into the application of this passage. And what he says is that I want to stand in heaven and I want to look at my father and celebrate not a perfect life, but a life that grew in its acknowledgement of who I am, what I represent, what I've done in your life, and what I'm doing in this world. Because what does he define earlier in this? This is the kingdom of heaven. I am establishing my kingdom. I've established it. You're part of it. We've seen the contradiction that can take place right now in our world in all kinds of individual issues. People are deconstructing their faith, and it's good to question, it's good to think. It's good to be able to say, well, what do I think about this? You know, when I left PCB, I remember going into seminary, and in seminary, it was almost like 
they loved PCB at Dallas, but they said, We're gonna, we want you to hit a reset button. I remember my professor, we want to look at a biblical theology. You've been taught a systematic theology, that's wonderful. I want you to question everything, but as you come in, you should be at this place where you have such confidence in your faith in Christ, in his word, in the authority of his word, that I want you to take a step back and walk through it. And it was challenging for me for four years at Dallas Seminary to just question everything, but question everything without saying, I'm totally throwing everything out. However people define this deconstructing thing, I, I have no idea. But I know this. It's okay to look back and go, okay, do I believe this? Why do I believe this? Being able to defend that. Not being able to say, well, I know so-and-so said this. I know so-and-so said that. It's good, but we live in a culture now where areas, significant areas in which the Bible is extremely clear on gender, sexuality, all kinds of morality and ethics. There's an acknowledgement of God in his word, or there's a pulling off and saying, uh, I'd rather have peace with the world in the context of tolerance, then stand up and be rejected because I love Jesus and I love his word. I, I've never, I'm 28 years in ministry, I've never seen the challenges that I, I, I've seen before. I was just talking with your dean and, and saying before, the internet didn't even exist when I got into ministry. That's how old I am, right? I mean, these things were like, cool, you know, what is this, you know? And I got my first cell phone back in 19, I don't know, it was 96, 97. Um, and the internet didn't exist. And now there's so much information, there's so many opportunities for things to be challenged. And Jesus is acknowledging me, is saying everything about Jesus, the authority of his word, I am living according to, I am going to own, I am going to follow through with passion and devotion. And when you acknowledge Christ, it's a very, very relational moment in your life as well. They are moments. It's like the day I got engaged to my wife up at Peddler's Village. I went and I remember standing there and all of a sudden, after she said yes, it was a relief, after she said yes, I remember she went from girlfriend Becky to fiance Becky. The whole introduction changed from here on out. And then there was going to be another significant day. Your acknowledgement of Christ is so important. I want you to ask yourself, when Jesus puts it in these extreme, almost ultimatum Words, why is he doing this? Because he knows that there are going to be a myriad of opportunities to walk away. But he also knows there's this potential in you, potential in you that goes beyond anything you'll ever succeed at in this world, in this earthly life, that beyond in eternity, that you need to be thinking about the future. And I know your future you're thinking about is what am I going to be doing two years? Where am I going to be working? Who am I going to be married to? What am I going to do? He says, listen, I need you to think well beyond that eternal consequence because you're going to be standing in heaven with Jesus being introduced to the Father. And what's he going to say at that moment? 
His, we all have fear. I have fear. I, I shrink back. I look at things, I, people, I, um, you know, I just don't want them to know. And by the way, don't, don't be defined by politics. That is not an identifying mark. Don't do that. Let your Christianity, your devotion to Christ, your love for Jesus, yes, inform your politics, inform your voting, inform all of those things. It better, or there's a problem. The Word of God better be at the center of it. But don't let that define everything and deconstruct and rewrite and do that. Make sure you've got the order right here. Acknowledge me before men. Acknowledge me. Don't disown me in those things. It's everything. I've had parents come to me over the years and they say, my child's come out and they're struggling with homosexuality. They're struggling with the challenges of, of this. They're, they're taking on this view, that view, their lifestyle. And I say, well, it's a moment to say, how do I love a person but still not disown Christ in my devotion to Jesus Christ? It's possible. It's possible. It's hard. It's going to be messy. It's going to be moment by moment. But I tell them, don't celebrate that. Don't celebrate it. Don't celebrate it on social media. Don't celebrate it. You are to celebrate one thing and one thing only, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, work in your life, the authority of Scripture in your life, the life-saving power of the Holy Spirit. Be careful. There's no other freedom apart from him. Then he continues even with stronger words. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not too difficult, right? Man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He says, listen guys, you're going out two by two. You're going out and you're going to be challenged not just in who is a stranger, who's far off, but there's going to be people in your own family that are going to look at your faith. And hopefully in your tenure here at Karen University, your faith is being strengthened. Your faith is being built. Your biblical worldview is being established from the word of God and the teaching of the great teachers you have here. And that you are walking out. And yes, you don't have everything answered. You're not sure you're not going to know how to navigate everything. That's I love earlier in the passage when he says, hey, listen, when you get there, you know, God will give you the answers at that moment through the power of the Holy Spirit to answer the question that you need to answer. Form your answers, yes, but rely on the Holy Spirit in the moment because do you know where it's going to become most difficult and most needed? When you're sitting next to your child, when you're sitting next to your sibling, when you're sitting next to your parent, and you're talking about Jesus Christ and what he means in your life. And wherever that parent's position is or that family member's position is, it may be. And he says, listen, I haven't come to bring peace because naturally you love me. There's going to be this contradiction, this hostility that may come your way that you have nothing to do with, that people are going to go, I absolutely want nothing to do with you. Maybe some of you came to a Bible college or a Christian school, and there's people like, why are you going there? When I came out of high school, I remember I didn't know where I was going to go to school, and um, 
I certainly wasn't wanting to acknowledge Christ in my life the way I lived in high school. And uh, they had to put something in the yearbook. I, so I had applied to two schools, I think three maybe. And one was PCB and uh, the other was Penko Tech over here. Um, it was a computer school. I don't even know if it's still around. And I thought, I'll put Penko Tech in there. Why? Because I knew the guys I was playing soccer with at high school were going like, oh, man, what are you doing, man? I didn't, want I didn't want that published forever in somebody's yearbook. All right? And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, what, what am I going to do? And that type of thing, I look back and I go, why didn't I stand up for God more? Why didn't I do that? I think in God's grace and mercy, he knew where I was at. I'm glad I didn't change my decision. I'm glad I didn't shrink back. So God gives you a lot of grace and there's a lot of redemption, but there must be repentance as well. And the repentance was, the next time I have an opportunity to proclaim that a decision in my life has been guided by God, and that it's aligned with God, and that I'm aligned with Jesus Christ, I'm not going to shrink back. And that, to me, was important. And sometimes the hardest place that will happen will be your own family members. That's the hardest place to share the gospel because they know everything about you. That's the hardest place to speak truth. That's the hardest place to go in because a stranger looks at me and they go, oh, Pastor, oh, you know, you must be a saint. Um, and, you know, I can share it there, but talk to my daughters, talk to my wife, talk to my family members. They're like, come on, I see you every day. Don't get religious with me. I, I know that those type of thoughts happen. So Jesus understood what it's going to be, and, and it's who will you acknowledge? I think on this one, to whom will you acknowledge? To whom? And those relationships will differ. They will differ from challenge to challenge, and they will look at and you will look at you and they'll go, I don't want to know this part of you. But you are with Christ, and there is no place where there's a lesser degree of that relationship and other places where there's a higher degree. He says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You know, this goes well beyond a, a coach's locker room pep talk before they go out on the field. Because what Jesus is laying out is now a relationship of comparison. And he's saying, I'm not asking you not to love. In fact, I'm asking you to love even more. Love so much that the truth of the word of God will not be withheld and be held back from those that you love the most. But the fact that some of those are going to reject you you are going to have to accept and acknowledge the difficulty of that relationship and that it's now strained because you love me. Do you love Jesus that way? I was at Dallas Seminary and I decided to, um, I don't even know whose, whose youth conference this was. It was down at one of the major arenas down in the center of Dallas. And so I, I was like a second year student. I, I just decided to go down and be part of um, being a counselor for students that came forward. I wasn't going into youth ministry, never been a youth pastor, never been a children's pastor, right? I think everybody has to go through those, 
places, right? Matt, I just applaud you, man. You do it, right? You, you stuck with it, right? And you're gifted at it. My, my students would have hated me, put it that way. They're like all of this stuff, they would have been like, yeah, I reject you, you know? I, I don't think, because I became one of them, right? And, but I remember being at the youth conference and I said, a student came up and it was, it was like, a, it had to be like a 13, 14 year old. And he came up to me and he said, I, um, he says, I want to come up and rededicate my life to Christ today. I'm like, wow, okay. I said, so what, what brings you, like what, what motivated you? What happened today? What happened over this weekend? He said, I don't think I love Jesus enough. And I think as a 23, 24, 25 year old, wherever I was at that point, I looked at him and I said to myself, wow, he's at a more advanced point than I am. Because I never have asked that question of myself. Do I love Jesus enough? Because when he says, take up your cross and follow me, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is this ultimate progression here that starts at acknowledgement of who will you acknowledge, to whom will you acknowledge, and how will you acknowledge is so, it is so challenging and sobering. You have specific gifts, abilities, tendencies, weaknesses. You have things in your life that challenge you that don't challenge me. I have things in my life that challenge me. And when I, when I was younger, even as a young pastor, my view of money and possessions challenged me. It was greed. It was, I'm going to do everything because I grew up in a family where my dad struggled with employment and we struggled to, he struggled to pay the bills. And I said to myself, I'm never going to, I'm never, ever, ever going to be like that. I'm going to earn as much money as I can. And God gave me a little bit of a business mind and those types of things. And I love that stuff. But in that area of my life, I had to look at this and say, in comparison now, in comparison to that drive, in comparison to that desire, do you love me more than that? And are you willing to find your life in me, lose your life in me, and give up everything else in order to follow me? It's a relationship of comparison. And how will you acknowledge Christ in the most challenging moments, the most challenging areas of your life? How will you do that? It's in that dating relationship. Are you submitted to Jesus Christ? It's in that relationship to your, to your academic experience. Are you submitted to Christ? Are you submitting to Christ in the process of saying, Yes, I know what I looked like two years ago is different than what I look like now, and that submission is growing to Jesus Christ, or am I regressing because the world, because of my own inner battle? Hey, the world is not your greatest enemy. You are inside yourself. There's a battle going on. God knows that, and the challenge of that is to say, Lord, I, I got to be taking up my cross. Now, taking up a cross is this. If you pictured a Roman citizen or Jewish person like Jesus being crucified on a cross, what would they do? They'd make him carry the cross through the town, and they'd make him do that because in the final moments of that criminal's life, 
whether legit or, or not legit, falsely accused or rightly accused, they were saying, that person was saying, and they were being forced to say, I submit to the authority. So Jesus says, is there going to be a moment in your life where you're going to take up your cross? And this is where it distinguishes between the believer and the disciple. Are you going to take up your cross and say, Lord, I'm following you? Are you going to say in this area, in all areas, submission is not my desire because if you wait for desire, it might be a long wait. But submission is, I'm going, Lord, to find accountability. I'm going to find, to be rooted in your word. I'm going to do everything I can to submit to you in this area, Lord. And I am going to know that this submission is really where I find my life. He's not asking for your physical life from you. That could happen to a couple of us. But he's asking for your heart, your mind, your soul. The relationships that surround you, the issues that challenge you from a culture that is separating themselves from God more and more and more in rebellion and saying, will you step out into that world in which you follow Jesus? This is before they all went out and experienced one negative or positive thing. So today... I don't know where you're going for the weekend. I don't know what you're doing. This wasn't your feel-good message. But can I tell you something? There's so much potential in this. There is so much potential. And this encourages me. It encourages me that God's grace and mercy is involved in all of this and is embodied in all of this because Jesus says he wants to acknowledge me before his Father in heaven. He's excited to do that. He says to me, Al, I, I want to be the closest to you, even closer than your earthly relationships. And he says to me, Al, I want you to know that you can find ultimate satisfaction in life through me. That is a blessing. So who will you acknowledge? To whom will you acknowledge? And how will you acknowledge? Let's pray. Lord, I am grateful that You've given me defining moments, and I know each student here has them in their life and their experience with you. And I'm grateful that you find us where we are on the road that we're traveling, and you continually try to poke and prod and say, hey, I want to give you this opportunity. So the opportunity embodied in Matthew 10 is an opportunity that's equally given to all of us, and that is to experience life with Christ. Anything apart from Christ, God, will not deliver any of the blessings of this passage. But I pray today we are devoted. We're devoted to Christ. We're devoted to the challenges that come ahead. We're not expecting ease and safety. But we know your presence is promised with us. Because in all of it, God, you are excited to acknowledge us. Jesus, you want to welcome us into the presence of your father someday, and we want to be excited about that. Thank you for these students. I ask your blessing on them and that each one of them is on a journey with you um, that they can be encouraged and they can be challenged and that at this great school they can run this race and understand more about what their role in life is. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>